1: Hey, welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Today is Thursday, September 16th. You know the year, it's 2021. I am your host, Dion Rapowan. I'm joined here by an inimitable panel. I have the spectacular Jack Farley and I have Ash Bennington. Guys, thanks so much for being with us. Great to be here, Dion.
2: Great to be here, man.
1: Look, we're going to run it down today. We've got this big U.S. retail sales report, which defied expectations and beat out what the uh, the economists said that was going to happen. Uh, we've also we're going to talk about the market reaction to that, both stocks and bonds, initially selling off the S&P 500, coming back and maybe ending the day in the red. That's going to be something to watch. Certainly, we'll see where things pan out with that. We're also going to talk about gold and silver, and we've got a clip from James Aitken talking about central banks, interest rates, and what's going on with this taper that Fed Chair Jerome Powell signaled uh, last month at the Jackson Hole meeting. But first, our very own Ash Bennington is here. He was at the SALT Conference in New York City, first year there in New York, big changes as a result of the pandemic. Ash, tell us what you learned at SALT. You've got not one, but two stories for us, two dispatches from the SALT Conference.
2: Yeah, I think two major themes, Dion. That's absolutely right. Uh, the first one is that hedge funds are back in a major way. By the way, if you ever go to a hedge fund conference, there will always be a panel <laughs> called "Hedge Funds Are Back." Uh, so that's nothing new, but this time there's actually some real data behind it. Uh, let's just go through some of these numbers because I think that they're uh, I think that they're informative. Q2 2021 prior quarter, 82% of hedge funds generated positive annualized returns. That's up nine percent. Uh, nine percentage points, I should say, from Q1 2021. So this is a big jump. Uh, This is from original reporting by Institutional Investor based on data from Citgo Fund Services. Also, Dion, there's this, the strongest subsector of the hedge fund space. It's hedge funds with over $3 billion in AUM. So it's the largest players in the space that are benefiting the most. Perhaps no surprise there. That data also from Citgo Fund Services. Dion.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah. You know what? Those big hedge funds have been outperforming, the little guys and the medium-sized guys, for quite some time. So I don't think any surprise there. Uh, you've also got a second story. we got something going on crypto.
2: Yeah, that's right, Dion. Crypto was absolutely everywhere uh, at SALT this year. Uh, pretty extraordinary, from the content exhibitors uh, to the speeches. Uh, I mean, everything, everywhere you went, people were talking about cryptocurrency. Incidentally, uh, this is just kind of an anecdotal analysis that I did. These were not uh, cryptocurrency folks, for the most part in attendance, uh, there were a few of them, I would say less than 10%. These were people from the hedge fund industry, people from the alternative asset industry, people from the traditional financial services space, folks from banks, folks from big hedge fund, private equity guys and gals. Everybody was talking about crypto. Why? Well, probably an obvious answer, the returns, the price action, the volatility, but also this pervasive sense that there's an increasing sophistication in the crypto space, a maturation of the crypto space, uh, and the sense that there is going to be continually more overlap between the digital assets, crypto distributed ledger tech space and traditional finance. Look, this is a space that's maturing very quickly. Uh, There are clearly use cases that are coming up where traditional finance folks is going to find this functionality incredibly useful. It's a fascinating time to be there. I found it just absolutely surreal and kind of spellbinding to see this kind of collision of two worlds. Uh, the fund folks with the crypto folks, it's a cultural shift that's happening right now. And it just couldn't be a more interesting time to be in this space.
1: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, definitely you talk about a shift there. That's absolutely what's happening. I know, Just a few years ago, crypto folks would have been laughed out of the building at a SkyBridge Capital event like the SALT conference.
2: Yeah, one of uh, an insider in the hedge fund space said to me, I was just talking to this really cool guy, and you've got to go talk to him. And I said, well, what's his name? And he said, oh, unfortunately, I forgot. And I said, well, how am I going to find him? And he said, he's the only person here wearing a Darth Vader t-shirt. So (laughs) it's still very much, uh, you know. A kind of a tale of two different cultures, uh, but it's fascinating to see these people actually talking to each other, engaging in conversations, having the substantive dialogue, and you can only wonder what's going to come out of it.
1: Mm, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. More, more crypto. I think the more the numbers go higher, the more Bitcoin gets to fifty thousand, above fifty thousand. You know, people like money, and certainly if you manage money uh, and you're missing out on crypto, you're gonna have clients who are gonna say, hey why why am i missing out on all these games so well, definitely well that's something exactly to watch there. right
2: you know that's exactly right number go up generates people being interested but also there is something happening here where there's some of the structural infrastructure elements that are coming into the space that are going to allow people uh, in traditional finance to participate in ways uh, that they didn't participate before. Uh, You know, I think I said uh, early 2021 was the year of the crypto prime broker. The fact that that was a phrase that people had heard in early 2021. And now you start to see some of the infrastructure Catching up with that, and of course, there are also uh, traditional stories that you'd expect. Uh, Anthony Scaramucci, of course, at Skybridge announced uh, a partnership with Nax uh, to launch the Unlocks Fund. This was a two hundred and fifty million dollar fund announcement, concentrating on the DeFi space. What else, Dion?
1: Yeah, and I know we're Real Vision. We've got something we want to tell people about with regard to the crypto space. Not wanting to miss out here, right?
2: Yeah, that's exactly right, and it's coming up tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow. Real Vision is doing Crypto Gathering 2021.5. This starts at 10 o'clock in the morning Eastern Time. It's absolutely free for all Essential, Plus, Pro, and of course, Blacklist members. If you're new to Real Vision, you can get a six-month subscription for Real Vision Essential for $99 and a free ticket. The price goes up at midnight tonight. Uh, Everyone who's interested in this can go to realvision.com forward slash cg update that's realvision.com slash cg update to register i'm going to be hosting three sessions tomorrow uh, a macro panel with mark yusko and dan moorhead two absolutely fantastic people in the macro space who were very early to crypto Uh, a second panel called old rules for a new world boy i can't believe this it's a regulatory update with brian brooks uh, and caitlin long Brian Brooks, of course, uh, the former uh, head of the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency here in the U.S., and the great Caitlin Long. She's a triple threat, understands the legal aspect of this, understands the financial aspect of this, understands the technology, and one of my favorite guests here on Real Vision. Finally, I will be hosting DeFi Goes Exponential with Hunter Horsley, Ben Foreman, and Peter Hans. And finally, Ryan Todd, this is an all-star cast uh, of investors in the space. Uh, boy, I think we've mentioned most of the great names uh, that I'm going to be uh, hosting with, but there are even more if you go up to the Real Vision website, realvision.com slash cgupdate.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah, and that's, that's going to be big because as you talked about, those regulatory names, those legal names, I think that's where crypto is headed right now is, you know, SEC Chair Gary Gensler clearly has the crypto space in his sights. I think just yesterday or a couple of days ago, we talked about crypto being the wild, wild west, wanting to boost uh, funding for the SEC in large part because of all the things they have to do in the crypto space. So understanding what's going on with regulation, understanding what's going on with legality, understanding whether crypto is going to be considered an asset or not and how that's going to be enforced, that's obviously going to be big.
2: Um, Oh, you couldn't be more right about that, Dion. Absolutely spot on. Hey,
1: yeah.
2: folks at home, uh, you know
3: Hunter Horsey is going to be there. Uh, all the other big names in crypto is going to be there, and Ash is going to be there too. So if you really, you know, yeah, I know a lot of you like Ash Bennington, so you got to you got to show up. See <laughs> Ash
1: Bennington,
2: you're catching me between conferences. It's Salt this week and then Mainnet next week. So it's great to actually be back on Real Vision for a day. Yeah, yeah you know yeah, what and- say? Con- like
3: when there's three conference, three crypto conferences uh, within two weeks, that's typically not something that happens in a bear market. <laughs> the conferences typically happen when
1: when there's a full market energy. So in when the the, yeah, when the uh, when the price is going up, right? That's that's when you want to have all the conferences and get people all excited about it.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to LipsonAds.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com.
1: Speaking about prices, the the S&P and the Dow both ending the day in the red, the NASDAQ, however, in the green, and the Russell 2000 also ending the day in the green. Now, I thought today's price action on the market, on the stock market, was super interesting because we had this big beat on retail sales. I think everyone and their mother had sort of written off this retail sales report as it's going to be negative. We're going to see a decline, but just how much, just how far is it going to be down is going to determine how we really react to this. And then it's up. You see uh, increase 0.7% month over month from July, which was revised down, important to point out. But you did still see a solid increase in retail sales, the core number even better than the headline number. And the initial reaction from the market was to move lower. We were down, I think, half a percent or more on the S&P 500. Uh, you know, again, rallied back up there. Those dip buyers were out in effect, but still ending the day lower. Jack, what was your reaction to the markets You know, kind of trading after we got this number?
3: Well, Dion, the action in the bond market made sense. You had the 10-year note selling off. You had the 30-year note selling off. And if the economy is running hot, something that you probably want to sell is bonds because you can get return uh, elsewhere. And perhaps there also could be some inflation, which is kryptonite to bonds. Uh, and I think you had some yield curve steepening as well by maybe one or two basis points. Some of the action in the market that confounded me, Dion, though, was in the stock market. You alluded to it earlier. We saw some extreme weakness uh, in the S&P 500. That sort of at uh, you know around 11 a.m. it started grinding higher again, and we we thought it was going to eke out a win at about 3:40. We were joking around that we we're like the S&P 500 you know crashes one basis point. Uh, it's uh it's 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 melting up one basis point. But yeah, now we're down <laughs> something like uh 14, 15 basis points or, or somewhere around there. Uh, but Deanna, I I want to go back to the retail sales figure. This was a huge beat, as you say. Um, 10 of the 13 categories registered increases in sales month over month. And the total number for the, the headline, I believe, was 0.7, uh, an increase in 0.7, when the median forecast by economists was a decrease in, uh, by 0.7. And I think of the 67 economists in the uh, Bloomberg sort of survey, all but one of them forecasted that retail sales month over month would decline. There was one economist who said it would increase, and that was actually uh, Michelle Meyer, who was on Real Vision last month. So all but one hey. economist was, was stymied by this reading. Dion, because what, what, I know you are a data person. Um, uh, tell us how you interpreted today's uh, uh, print. You
1: know what was really interesting about it, Jack, was you saw this big beat, as you talked about, 0. 0.7, when everyone was expecting a 0.8% drop, 0.7% uh, increase. But we're also up 15%. Uh, from a year ago and we're 17.7% above pre-pandemic levels. That's indicative of an economy that's not slowing down, that's not sputtering. But when you dig in the details a little bit, you start to see, hmm, maybe this is a little bit worrisome. Obviously, used cars down pretty significantly, uh, goods down pretty significantly. You saw some of these, the big increase was in non retailer non-residential retail stores, people doing a lot of buying online. And what I think is interesting and that hasn't gotten as much play as maybe I think it should have is this inflation story, because where you're seeing the real clawback or the pullback in retail sales, even in a good report like this one, is in places where you're seeing that inflation, places like retail sales, uh, things like food. That's where you're not seeing the same kind of pickup that you saw in other places. People are shopping online, they're they're bargain and value shopping this while folks still have trillions and you know we could call it dry powder but this is just folks with you know stimulus checks or those you know enhanced unemployment checks or the new uh family tax credit from the biden administration sitting in their bank accounts well they should be going out and spending more and i think the delta variant may have played less of a role in this than people initially thought because folks. Instead of going out you know and, and buying dinner every night of the week or making that big trip that they had planned, well instead they went on Amazon and, and you know bought some new stuff for their house or bought some new entertainment items or things like that. Uh, Ash, want to go to you? What did you think about this report and about the market reaction overall?
2: <laughs> I have to be honest, you just busted me. I was checking the price of Solana. Um, <laughs> <I see. laughs> uh, no, I, I mean, look, you know, I, I think that there's obviously there's a lot of volatility in the data. The forecast on retail sales was for minus 0.8 uh, percent, as you pointed out, up 0.7. I think that there's going to be some volatility in these figures just because of the nature uh, of what has happened with the economy, with supply chains, with uh, just the the reopening trade. There's some speculation by a lot of market observers that this may be due uh, to uh, some of the back-to-school shopping that's happened that didn't happen uh, maybe over the prior months, uh, it's an interesting one. I think you know ultimately you know we also uh, mentioned the uh, the uh, the jobless claims which came in at the top of the consensus range. That's a bearish indicator, obviously. So you see two macro data points moving uh, in opposite directions. But one of the things that I've been thinking about here, um, and maybe just from a bit of a big picture perspective, you know, it's interesting. I, I mostly cover crypto now. Uh, but when you you kind of step back from the day to day, maybe you start thinking a little bit more broadly about things. And I'm just fascinated and and frankly frightened by all of these stories that we're hearing about uh, sort of the dysfunction of global supply chains, about what might be happening there and and understanding what the underlying cause of that is. Most of the reporting that I'm seeing is about these sort of interesting, like anecdotal stories about you know what happens when uh, you can't get x, y, or z, or you have to pay more for it. But, What's fundamentally happening here, you, you begin to wonder, and I want to be very careful about the way I say this, because clearly there were a lot of people in the, uh, in the country who really needed help during the, uh, during the COVID crisis. But you have to start to wonder at what point uh, massive intervention in markets by central banks and uh, through fiscal policy begins to cause distortions uh, of the aggregate levels of supply and demand for goods and services. And you know to what extent we can continue to support the economy without it having Uh, implications for things like example, global supply chains.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, you talk about the impact of central banks. I think for a long time, folks have been talking about, hey, the Fed, uh, you know, and, and central banks globally, the ECB, the BOJ, BOE, they're really what's moving the needle here. And I think what's interesting is this move that we've gotten You know, throughout September, I think when Fed Chair Jay Powell announced the Fed was going to be tapering, that this was going to come this year. He didn't say when, but he said likely this year we're going to see some tapering. And the market kind of shrugged it off. I know I, you know, my eyes got big. I was like, what? What's going on here? And maybe now we're starting to see some evidence of the market's reaction to that. But maybe not. Uh, we've got a clip here that I want to show folks. It's Real Vision CEO Rao Powell, and he's talking with James Aitken. And this is going to be available tomorrow to all Real Vision Essential subscribers. The full interview. We're going to show you a clip, a quick clip here. Uh, and James is going to be talking about this taper and the actual impact of the Fed not only taking place or not only announcing the taper, but what we can expect the result or the outcome maybe to be from the taper itself. So here's that interview. This is Raoul Powell talking with James Aitken.
4: And just the last point on the taper, I think it's gonna be one of the most well-telegraphed central bank actions in many, many years. I mean, we all know it's coming. They've told us it's coming and they're gonna do it. And maybe they taper over eight months instead of 12, which is what interest rate markets seem to be expecting. But the test for raising policy rates it's far more stringent, to use Powell's own words, and based on the US economy getting back to maximum employment. And the, the, the other thing that's slightly in the Fed's favour is that because the US Treasury has issued so many bonds so rapidly, you're actually going to see total net, issu- net issuance of Treasury bonds is going to come off a bit through the term of the year. And because mortgage rates, mortgage loan origination has declined, there will be somewhat less supply of agency MBS as well. So I could be totally wrong about this. I mean, we shall see. But I would think that the taper itself, as well telegraphed as it is, is probably not as consequential for markets as the discussion over inflation, the labour market, and when any eventual policy rate hike May occur.
1: All right. That was James Aitken of Aitken Advisors, the insider's insider. And that full interview again, the full interview with Real Vision CEO Rao Powell is going to be available tomorrow to Real Vision Essential Pro and Plus subscribers. So Be sure and check that out. If you don't have real vision, get real vision. You can get that interview and watch the full thing. You know, James charges a lot of money for his research. And so if you're getting it right here, a full hour long interview with Ralph Powell, who's no slouch on the investment side himself. That's something you definitely want to check out. Um, I want to step back and actually, Jack, come to you on this. You know, I, I alluded to a little bit of that longer-term market reaction and how the market overall is looking at this taper. You've got bond yields back up now. I think it's the 10 years at about 1.33% um, after today's action. You've got the Dow and S&P, NASDAQ as well, all kind of still high, but off of those all-time highs and kind of moving downward. What's your, your big picture view when you step back and look at what's going on in the overall markets?
3: Well, Dion, I have to say, when talking about quantitative easing, it's so hard to even have conversations and talk about it, because up is down and left is right, (laughs) sideways is vertical. For example, uh, the central bank tapering its asset purchases, it's going to be buying fewer 10-year notes, let's say. Well, when you buy 10-year notes, uh, the yield goes down. So buying fewer of them means the yield should go up. Well, not so fast. We actually find that when central banks taper, um, well, um, well, actually, sorry that the that when central um, i central see I'm confused right now see when the-
1: <laughs> sure. hey, it's all right take a take a breath Jack take a breath you got a lot to say you got a lot you want to give the people take a breath and jump in there
3: yeah well um the the 10 year things actually 10 year notes actually tend to decline um because the market is pricing in growth and it's also uh you know, in- increasing risk or decreasing risk appetite so i think that uh we, one thing, by the way, just about James Aiken, uh, he doesn't do free trials for his- uh, no, no free, free trials. He, yeah, no free trials. Yeah. This ain't Spotify. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. not Spotify. <laughs> one point he made in the interview, which I've which seen, because um, I was making a lot of the charts for it, was that in the 2013 taper tantrum, the problem that the Fed was trying to conquer was negative real yields. Because negative real yields, they eat up savers, lunch, you know. We've got grandma, we have got grandpa, they're trying to put money in the bank and save money. Inflation is eating it away. We can't have negative real yields. And they specifically said that they were going to target negative real yields. Well, what happened? You had an epic sell-off in treasury inflation-protected securities, uh, and that causes this extreme market havoc. Now, we know that the Federal Reserve specifically is targeting negative real yields, whether they've said it or not, uh, because Number one, it's very loose monetary conditions. And number two, this essentially allows the Treasury to uh, do, what, do what the Treasury wants and sort of monetize that deficit. So I think that we're living in a different sort of world, Dion.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements. Or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think it's also very interesting. You know, what, what a lot of folks have been talking about is the movement in the dollar and how, you know, the dollar is on the other side of a lot of these trades. I want to open this up, Ash, if you want to jump in here, or Jack, if you want to jump in here. I wanted to get your thoughts on the dollar. This is a question we have uh, coming in from Mike Kegley. Uh, Here on Real Vision, he asks any opinions on the rise of DXY to the ninety-three level today. It's still down from where we were earlier on, but certainly a move higher that a lot of people have noted. And you know, those other things—commodities, gold, silver, uh, agriculture—all that that's on the other side of that dollar trade seem to be feeling it.
3: Yeah, I guess I'll take this. Well, if if you look at the recent strength in the dollar, it makes you question the reflation narrative because, oh, growth is hot. uh, Value stocks are doing well. Oil price is high. Copper price is high. We're in a reflationary environment, right? Well, uh, not necessarily. If we're in a reflationary world, how come emerging market currencies are trading so low? How come the emerging market stocks are trading so low? How come the price of copper is high, but copper stocks aren't doing nearly as well? Maybe the market is thinking that this is sort of a... You know, a one-night party, and it's not going to last for a, a long time. Why is why is European stocks uh, going down? Uh, Roger Hurst had a great thing on a uh, Real Vision Pro where he charted the U.S. Uh, 10 ten ten-year two-year spread relative to the ratio between the DAX and the S and P 500, and based mm-hmm. on where we now, uh, based on where we are now, the DAX should be much much higher uh, to sort of confirm that trend. Um, so when it comes to the dollar, I don't really know. I think you know the dollar is kind of greases the wheels of the financial global financial plumbing. Uh, so we supply we're sort of the banker for the world. So much of commodities and business is conducted in dollars. So much debt is conducted in dollars. But I think the real engine of growth is China, and I think we're seeing some alarm signals come from China today, when you find out that the Evergrande bonds uh, were essentially banned from trading. They were taken off the exchange. Uh, You look at Fantasia, another real estate developing bank, Uh, those bonds uh, that mature in December have a yield of 178%. So if you put a dollar to work now and buy a Fantasia bond and it all works out, you're going to get $2.78 before Christmas. So so something must go wrong there. And I might add, Mm. going back to the trading conditions um, of today, the rising dollar makes a lot of sense because what was the number one most down stock in the entire S&P 500, Freeport MacBrand, a copper company. So I'm seeing China slow down. I'm seeing severe threats uh, to the Chinese real estate market and the risk of economic contagion spreading throughout China and perhaps the globe. Um, And then I'm seeing rising dollar. I'm seeing copper going down. You know, these are things that sort of just occur to me. It's it's not like it's it's, it's going to happen. But yeah, a rising dollar is, is very significant.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you talked about this yesterday with uh, with Darius Dale here on the Real Vision Daily Briefing, and that some of those bonds are now trading at default levels. You know, I covered emerging markets and emerging market debts for a number of years. And, you know, when when bonds start, when bond prices start to hit that 29, 28, 25 cents on the dollar level, that's default levels. That means the market is expecting a default. And, you know, that that's definitely not good. So certainly something to watch out there. Um, the other thing on the other side of this dollar trade that everyone's talking about are commodities. And this and today, gold and silver both got absolutely slapped in the face. Uh, silver at one point down as much as 5%, gold down around three and a half, four percent 4%. Both closing the day a little higher than those low levels, but not doing much. Um, wanted to throw this again to both of you, Ash, if you want to jump in here on this uh, gold and silver day. I was reading through the report, and they were saying, oh, the Philly Fed index came out a little hotter than expected. And it was a strong report from the Philly Fed, but I don't know too many traders that are buying on the Philly Fed report. Uh, They talked about the move in the dollar index, but the dollar index only only up about 0.4% today. I'm wondering about this big move lower in gold and silver and what your thoughts are there.
2: Well, I got to be honest with you, I'm not following the metals market very closely, and I could give some thoughts here, but probably not as well-developed as you guys could. But let me jump into a previous point uh, that I wanted to pick up on, which is uh, understanding what's happening uh, at the Fed, because this is really the story, obviously, Mm -hmm. that's one of the key drivers in markets. And I I wanted to just give a little bit of context to make two points uh, on top of Jack's, like, sort of 500-level seminar uh, here For people who are really uh, watching the space very closely, if you're relatively new to the space uh, and you're trying to understand what's happening with the Fed, I think there are two things that you really need to bear in mind. Number one uh, is that what we're talking about here with the taper is the withdrawing uh, of this extraordinary monetary policy that we've seen effectively uh, since uh, the global financial crisis. We talk about that, uh, you know, being uh, hawkish. It's really not hawkish. It's just becoming somewhat less dovish at the margin. I think this is an incredibly important point uh, as the Fed begins to, in theory, uh, start to taper off the purchasing of some of those fixed income instruments in the market. And the second point is whenever you hear someone say, well, the Fed said X, they're going to do X by Y date. When you actually go in and look at the minutes, you actually go in and you listen uh, to the speeches uh, that the chairman uh, gives uh, or other members of the FOMC, You will see a list, particularly with Chair Powell, you will see a list of a series of qualifications. They don't just say, and hey, by the way, we're going to withdraw uh, some of this uh, accommodative policy by the end of the year. We're going to start to taper. They're going to say, notwithstanding X, Y, and Z, depending upon the data, depending upon the implications, we believe it may be prudent at some date (laughs) in the future between today- AND THE END OF THE YEAR THAT WE MAY UNDER SOME CIRCUMSTANCES BEGIN TO DO X Y AND Z. SO THIS IS A VERY GO AHEAD
1: I I FELT LIKE I KNOW I FELT LIKE I WAS WATCHING JEROME POWELL RIGHT THERE FOR A SECOND. (laughs) 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 Like, MR. CHAIRMAN? No. So go ahead Ash. Uh,
2: that's something that's never going to happen. But look, you know, it's just important I think to understand that because, you know, very often we 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 sometimes speak in shorthand and this was the point that I was making about uh, you know, with Jack and uh, the great Roger Hurst doing their 500 level seminars. I don't know, what's the postdoc level seminars that we get from uh, Roger Hurst? You know, it's sometimes easy to uh, lose track of what's actually happening here, particularly when you're relatively new to markets. Look, we all began somewhere. We all began watching and trying to understand what's happening in markets. And for people who are new, boy, this is really complicated stuff. It's complicated stuff for us, and we watch it every day.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Want to get to one last question, uh, Ash. Thirty second response from you on this. We've got Ralph Humphrey asks in the uh, the Real Vision chat. What was top of mind at Salt?
2: Top of mind at Salt was just the incredible, pervasive, uh, just everywhere crypto, uh, and the fact that uh, you know some people were really excited about it, embracing it. I heard some of the uh, you know kind of uh, more uh, let's say old school uh, type of uh, people who have been in the uh, financial services space for a long time begin to grumble. I heard someone use the word capture as in it's been captured by crypto. That was <laughs> not a compliment. Uh, but by and large, most people were pretty enthusiastic about it. The, the overwhelming sense I had was that it's a brave new world. Uh, we're beginning to see uh, the union of those two spaces. And that's an incredibly exciting moment to be at.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and as we get, you know, more of the hedge fund people in the crypto space, more of the institutional traders in the crypto space, certainly we're going to have more government intervention. Uh, Gary Gensler in the SEC and, you know, Janet Yellen at Treasury has talked about this. You, you're hearing this from a lot of other places. So crypto is certainly going mainstream. If you are in the crypto space, definitely something to be prepared for.
2: Let me just add one final point. Uh, The -the off-the-record conversations I have, there were some very large hedge fund managers at Salt that did off-the-record conversations that did not get streamed out from Salt. They weren't allowed to be reported on. Uh, Every one of them who was asked about crypto said they were interested in it or investing in it. Some of the mammoth institutions I spoke to off-the-record, universally, everyone is exploring this space. Hmm. Are they hodlers, Ash? That's my question.
1: Are they hodling?
2: Yeah. Jack, time Time will tell. We'll have to see them at Mainnet next week. And at the Crypto Gathering, of course, tomorrow on Real Vision. That's where I'll of be. Course. I don't know about this Mainnet thing, but I will be at the Crypto Gathering,
3: yeah.
1: Hey, you know what? That that right there is a perfect place to end it. Look, thanks, everyone, for watching the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For myself, Dion Roboen, Jack Farley, Ash Bennington, uh, that's going to do it for us. I'll be here tomorrow talking with Jim Bianco of Bianco Research. So please tune back in. We'll be closing out the markets as we do every day. So thanks again. And uh, we'll come back and please be with us tomorrow.